Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Behind the Mic with Taylor Medic. I am your host, the aforementioned Taylor Medic, as we bring you another conversation from the world of sports broadcasting. We dive into someone's magnificent career and discuss their journey through their world of sports broadcasting and what it's been like and and speaking of what it's been like, it's been great to uh, continue to bring you these conversations uh, with some sports personalities, sports broadcasting personalities from around Canada. Going to venture down into the U.S. very soon and hopefully worldwide as well. I certainly love bringing these conversations and sharing the insights and stories from some great people. And we hope you've enjoyed them so far. Whether you get your uh, podcast from Spotify or Apple iTunes, wherever you get your podcast, I'm really happy that you're continuing to not only stream but download and uh, and listen to uh, to multiple episodes. So that means a lot. And thank you again for uh, tuning in to Behind the Mic. Going behind the mic today is a very good friend of mine. His name is AJ Jackiebeck of TSN 1200 Radio in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, the nation's capital. And AJ is the Swiss Army Knife. He really does everything. You name it, he does it. You name the sport, he knows a lot about it. Uh, And it is, uh, it's, this is going to be a great conversation. I had the privilege of working with AJ, not uh, too close hand in hand, but uh, we're at the station for uh, an amount of time. Uh, in uh, Edmonton at TSN Radio, Team 1260 Radio then, when AJ was the uh, inaugural play-by-play man of the Edmonton Oil Kings of the Western Hockey League in the mid-2000s, as they or the late 2000s, rather, as they came into the league uh, for the second time. And AJ always made the broadcast uh, sound great, uh, represented the radio station well, and uh, in his times, uh, when he got to uh, co-host on various shows, it was always a pleasure to hear his insight on whatever the topic was. And uh, he's a big college basketball fan. At the time we taped this, the uh, NCAA men's basketball final had just wrapped up. And I, I'm not one to ask uh, <laughs> topical sports conversations or have uh, any questions related to uh, current events in terms of sports, but I had to ask AJ what his thoughts on uh, a wild NCAA men's basketball tournament was with uh, Gonzaga, uh, the favorite going in, uh, Gonzaga out of Spokane, Washington, very close to uh, Edmonton in terms of close basketball programs in uh, Division One NCAA and uh, we get to, in Edmonton we get the Spokane uh, television station so we do see a lot of uh, Gonzaga sports, Spokane Chiefs, uh, those uh, those teams as well uh, so it's, it's kind of interesting how uh, a lot of people in Edmonton, Alberta know a lot about Gonzaga just based on the fact that we get their television stations from Spokane and Eastern Washington. So let's uh, dive right into it. AJ Jakubek, TSN 1200, goes behind the mic with Taylor Medic. Pleased now to be joined by AJ Jakubek here on Behind the Mic with Taylor Medic. AJ is from TSN 1200 in Ottawa, but he's had uh, stops all over Canada throughout his career. And uh, he was a one-time play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Oil Kings at TSN Radio, Team 1260 Radio. That's how I got to know him. AJ, how are you doing uh, today? 
I'm awesome, Taylor. Great to be with you. Well, yes, it is uh, great to uh, have you on here and go behind the mic. Uh, first off, I, I don't really talk a lot of sports-specific or current sport events, but uh, you're a basketball fan. College basketball just had their Final Four, and what a Final Four was. What was uh, your take watching such a, a pretty exciting tournament with uh, uh, Gonzaga losing to uh, Baylor in the championship uh, game? Yeah, I mean, I was disappointed for Gonzaga as, as someone that grew up in Edmonton in the 13-channel universe, right? I mean, back uh, back then, you know, in the 80s, uh, everyone that had cable had, you know, Spokane television. Now, you know, that doesn't really matter. You got time shifting, whatever, right? But back then, you know, Spokane TV, I mean, anyone kind of from Western Canada got it. And so you kind of feel a little bit of an affinity for Spokane and, and Gonzaga and, and really like in, in the eighties and nineties, and they weren't really known for anything. I mean, John Stockton, uh, you know, came out of there and he ends up being one of the best players in the NBA. But beyond that, it wasn't a team that you watched come tournament time because they just weren't there. And all of a sudden, you know, when I was uh, starting out in broadcasting, I spent my first three years in, in trail BC. Well, that's two hours from Spokane and, you know, I'd go down for Spokane Chiefs games quite often. I probably went down there about 10 times for that, including, uh, I think, five of the six games at the at the uh, 98 Memorial Cup. It would have been seven of the eight because uh, there would have been six games in the round robin, semifinal and final. So I went to seven games at, at the 98 Memorial Cup. And then when 99 hit, Gonzaga reached the uh, Elite Eight, um, you know, basically for the first time in their history. Well, that tournament... They played their first and second round games in Seattle. And I ended up driving to Seattle to see them play uh, against Stanford in the second round. They had upset Minnesota in the first round. They were a 10 seed. Uh, uh, Stanford was a two. And they uh, shocked Stanford in the second round before eventually losing. The then they upset Florida. That was the uh, slipper still fits call from Gus Johnson. That That's still one of the most famous calls in March Madness history, and then they eventually lost to, to UConn in the Elite Eight. But I, I've been following them quite closely ever since because uh, of just that kind of Spokane connection. And, man, I was really hoping they could get it done. And, and you know, that, that semifinal, I've been watching college basketball since 1983, and, um, you know, that that's certainly one of the top games I've ever watched, you know, alongside, you know, Duke-Kentucky in 92, the, the infamous Leitner shot, and, um, you, you think back to, uh, you know, some of the great finals in the 80s, Villanova shocking Georgetown, and, and the game that really got me hooked on college basketball was NC State upset, upsetting Houston with uh, Lakeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler and that team. So um, Lorenzo Charles with the last second uh, hoop to, to, to shock the world. So th that game against UCLA was one of the best I've ever seen. Uh, you know, you think UCLA – every player on, on the Bruins uh, shot 50% or better and they still lost. And, you know, so it was a great game start to finish and it was a great finish. Like sometimes you don't get a great game start to finish, but you get the dramatic finish. That game was just fantastic throughout. And you got the dramatic finish with the, uh, the long bank three from Suggs at the end. So, um, and, and to add the fact that you had Adam Morrison on the radio broadcast doing color uh, of a game, you know, years after he, you know, is involved in one of the, an, another dramatic game in in tournament history where they, you know, 
blew a, what, an 18-point lead and collapsed against UCLA late. He's crying on the floor, and that's, you know, forever going to be one of those moments that you never forget if you're a college basketball fan. Now he's on the other side calling it on the broadcast, and it's Gonzaga getting their revenge against UCLA. So you couldn't have written that part of the script better, but unfortunately, um, you know, for Gonzaga fans, and I think just for college basketball fans, it it seemed like, um, you know, number one, I kind of thought, you know, Baylor's playing Gonzaga in a best of seven. I think Baylor wins the best of seven. I don't think they sweep them. I don't think they blow them out to the same degree. But, you know, just more athletic and, you know, a, a team that, um, to, to me, showed they're the best team in the tournament from start to finish in terms of the way they could shoot the three, the way they could defend, and, and just, uh, you know, a, a team that has a couple of future NBAers for sure with Butler and, and Mitchell. So um, well done to Butler. Um, but, you know, Gonzaga, you know, just looked a little bit out of gas. And, and you know, given that, and the fact that maybe they hadn't uh, suffered a loss, you know, that, that never really helps. Um, you know, you, you talk to, you, you look at some of the best teams in the history of sports um, that have had perfect seasons or had like the best season in, in the history of a league. You know, those teams typically don't win from the Seattle Mariners in baseball to, you know, you've seen the Tampa Bay Lightning and Detroit Red Wings in hockey, the Golden State Warriors in basketball, uh, the 16-0 and New England Patriots, even teams like the 89, you know, obviously it's the EE football team now, but when they're called the Edmonton Eskimos and, and the 2016 Calgary Stampeders, I mean, it's tough to go through a season like that uh, without adversity and, and, you know, all of a sudden you face it, uh, it it's tough to, 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 you know, once the chips are down to – to, to come out of it. So uh, even Canada at the world juniors this year, right? They were so good and so dominant. And all of a sudden they faced some adversity and they just uh, couldn't turn that game around against the Americans in the gold medal game. So uh, bottom line is I think the best team won. Uh, it's too bad that it wasn't a better game, but uh, uh, still some great theater in particular in that semifinal game between Gonzaga and UCLA. Yeah, you're definitely right about uh, the theater. Well, let's dive into your theater, AJ. Uh, tell us about how you got your your start in broadcasting. Uh, was it school, or did you get right into uh, a job right away? Uh, tell us about how you got your journey started. Yeah, I mean, I was I was kind of I had the dream of a lot of other people in sports where you play as a kid and you hope to you know basically be a professional athlete. I was I was five foot nine when I was playing Pee Wee AAA at thirteen years old, and I'm five foot ten today right so (laughs) just you know in between that and you know not really having that if you're five foot nine and you're the best player on the ice in peewee but i wasn't that guy right so um you know kind of caught up to me and you know once i was uh getting cut from junior a teams all across western canada the writing was on the wall and it was time to start looking at uh at what I was going to do with my life. And I knew, you know, I wanted to be involved in sports. I knew I wanted to be involved in broadcasting, even from, you know, when I was 12, 13 years old, it was something that, you know, when I was in high school, you know, I was looking into different programs and that sort of thing, but I was going to pursue the hockey dream as far as it could go. And when it died, then, you know, it was okay. I'm going to play junior B and, you know, let, let's get into to school and get this going. And, you know, I ended up going to Nate, which, you know, I think is a, a terrific program for radio and television arts, uh, two-year program. 
uh, you know, learned a lot there called play by play. I mean, I was calling junior B games and, and then on the weekends, you know, sometimes I'd even miss my junior B games to call, um, to call Nate Oops hockey games because I thought it was important to, to be able to do play by play and get that experience and get that on tape because that's what I wanted to do going forward. So, um, you know, fortunate enough from there, there's a four work, a four month work experience, uh, that, that, uh, we had back then. And I'm, I still think it's part of the program and really one of, with that, you can go anywhere, right? You can go to TSN, you can go anywhere that you want. Uh, but I, I ended up going to CJVR in Melford, Saskatchewan, because I wanted to go and be on the air. And I was fortunate, uh, you know, with Neil Shuchuk running the show there that uh, I was able to, to go and, and work on the hockey broadcasts and, and do news and sports casts and curling reports and Prince Albert Raider reports and, and, and a lot of different things. So, you know, I worked the uh, Humboldt Broncos and, and Melfort Mustangs and Nipple and Hawks broadcast with both Neil and Brian Munns, who, you know, got to the NHL, you know, calling games with the Winnipeg Jets. And so that's, that's kind of cool that I think we're born a week apart and we were able to, you know, broadcast games together when we were 21 years old in the SJHL. Um, and, and then from there, you know, basically, uh, you know, that ended kind of April of 97 and, you know, was looking far and wide to, to get a job. So sent out tapes all over Western Canada, you know, certainly into the, into Eastern Canada as well, uh, in, into the United States to, to professional hockey teams and was just hoping for a break somewhere and ended up, getting that break in trail BC and spent three years in trail and called little league baseball and did the sports. And, you know, I was coaching hockey when I was there, I was taking uh, sport management classes at Selkirk college and, and, you know, calling hockey as well. Uh, trail smoke eaters, castle Gar rebels, Nelson Leafs, uh, all, all sorts of different teams. So kind of doing anything and everything. And that led to, uh, you know, to, to Kelowna, where I ended up doing Rockets broadcast with Regan Bartell, who's still there uh, today, did news, did sports, did, did uh, you know, Kelowna Rockets broadcast with Regan. And, and yeah, then that took me to Edmonton, where, you know, I worked uh, with the legendary John Short, who I grew up listening to on the radio, uh, you know, for, for a company called Any Sport, Any Time, did internet broadcasts, you know, and, and that's not lucrative, right? But, I was doing whatever I could to, to make ends meet, working odd jobs. I was delivering papers. I was living at my parents' place. And, yeah, I was, I was doing sales. And I was making a little bit on the side. I think it was uh, 100 bucks a game uh, doing, you know, Alberta Junior Hockey League games, doing Viking Cup games, doing high school basketball. Uh, I, I, I did University of Alberta basketball, men's and women's, which was great because when you're making 100 bucks a game, you go on a weekend and, and the bears and pandas are playing in Saskatoon against the U of S. Well, that was 400 bucks for, <laughs> for a weekend. Right. So that, you know, that, that helped a little bit, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, and then kind of big jerk, you know, the, the big break for me came in 2003 when, uh, when I, I was able to get, uh, the job in Ottawa, I was doing Ottawa 67s games, you know, because there was a lot of different close calls from, you know, Western Hockey League jobs, you know, I was in, in the last two in, in, in Prince Albert in, in 2000, sorry, in 1998. And Mitch Peacock beat me out uh, for that. And then, you know, in the last two in Swift Current in 2000, and Joey Kenward beat me out for that. 
and you know both of you know both are still working in the industry both great broadcasters right mm-hmm. so um and and then you know a lot of different close calls in the u.s like you know i had a team uh the laredo bucks that uh that, that was starting out in the central hockey league and they flew me down to the league meetings in scottsdale arizona and hung out there for six days and what, what i found out later was i was their backup plan because uh, what I needed was the New Orleans brass not to fold, but unfortunately the New Orleans brass did fold in, 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 I think it was 2002. Um, and, and unfortunately, um, because they folded, um, their broadcaster knew Terry Ruskowski, who's the head coach and general manager. And so he had a soft landing in Laredo, but they flew me down. I was kind of their plan B. Um, and you know, Hey, wine me dine me <laughs> all that kind of stuff um in scottsdale it was a nice week and i you know i interviewed for uh, the el paso buzzards job at the same time they you know put in a great recommendation for me there and you know they, they were going to hire me and then the immigration didn't come through <laughs> and so you know there's all sorts of stories uh, like that you know for, for those early years a lot of rejections and you know there there's uh, a time when i uh, applied for a roller hockey job coaching roller hockey in Singapore. And, uh, you know, I was going I actually, you know, they were going to hire me to, to do roller hockey coaching. And in, in the end, I, I stuck with a broadcaster and wrote, that's when I was working with, with John short and, you know, probably pretty happy that I did, but you know, a lot of different, a uh, lot of different, um, tapes sent out. That's for sure. And resumes sent out and, um, but you know, getting to Ottawa in 2003 was the big break for me. And, mm-hmm. you know, was fortunate to, to get to call 67s games then. And, you know, since I've been here, I've called 67s, uh, NHL games with the Sens, uh, CFL games with the Red Blacks, soccer, basketball, um, you know, all sorts of different sports. So it's been, uh, it's been really rewarding in terms of what, uh, I've been able to do and, yeah, you know, you think back to those early days and you, you think of just, you know, how one thing could have turned you in a different direction. Maybe maybe I don't get the job in trail, but I get hired by Flin Flon instead, which was the first place I interviewed for, for a play-by-play job. Maybe I go to Flin Flon. How, how does that change, you know, your, your path? Do you go from Flin Flon to Brandon to Winnipeg? And, you know, like it's, it's really hard to say, right? But in the end, it's the path that uh, – that, you know, has uh, led me to Ottawa and, you know, fortunate to, to have done so many different things in Edmonton as well, doing the oil Kings in, in between from 2007 to 2010. And uh, it's taken me to a lot of different places. And, you know, I hope, you know, given the landscape that, that we're seeing that's changing, right. It's not the same that it was, you know, two years ago, let alone when I started, mm-hmm. you know, you think back to 96 and 97, it's a completely different industry 25 years ago, but I, I hope people don't get discouraged by the fact that it is changing and um, maybe there might, might not be as many opportunities with, you know, a big media company as there were back then, but you know, there, there's still opportunities as long as there's teams broadcasting sports Maybe back then you were only working for a radio station or a television station, but now you could be working for a radio station. You could be working for a television station. You could be working for the team. You could be working for a league. You could be working for yourself. Uh, but but there's going to be an appetite for people uh, 
uh, to consume sports and and from a broadcasting perspective from a talk show perspective you look at the podcasts that are popping up um i I think there's more opportunity to kind of be a self-made man or woman today which is a big difference uh you know now from say 25 years ago so hopefully people don't get discouraged by anything uh in terms of the landscape uh, today compared to the way it was in the past yeah, there's opportunity now to to create your your own content and get your stuff uh, out there. For you, what was it like as a young guy uh, moving to a small town such as Melfort to, and going to trail and, and settling in? What was it like uh, when you were younger like that? Because that's kind of the path is you're told, hey, take that you know take that small town job where you, it's a chance to do everything and do a lot of things. What was it like for you? Uh, moving to uh, small town Canada and getting uh, a lot of opportunities within uh, those settings in Melfort and Trail. Yeah, and and you know, I'll speak mainly to Trail because I was in Melfort for four months, and it mm-hmm. certainly helped in terms of just getting more experience, right? But I mean, I was, <laughs> I, I was not getting paid. It was not. It was an unpaid internship, and so, um, you know, my first you know paid job in in sports media was in Trail. I was there three years. And it, it was phenomenal for me because trail is a terrific sports community. I mean, you think back to those three years, um, you know, there were games where I was broadcasting Jason Bay play baseball, playing, um, you know, uh, American Legion baseball right before he went to school in the States. And then he ended up going to Gonzaga and from Gonzaga, he ends up going, uh, you know, uh, to to major league baseball right and well on the minors and eventually to major league baseball so you had that i mean his sister lauren who's still involved in softball canada and has been you know a multi-time olympian was was uh you know graduating around the same time and ended up going to oklahoma state from there you had the the 1998 draft where both steve mccarthy and barrett jackman went in the first round um uh, so you know i was going to games uh, you know, the, the year before it might've been the 99 draft actually. Um, because yeah, it was the 99 draft because I remember going to games before that, um, you know, going to see, uh, Jackman at 16 and, and going to see, like, I'd go see like Regina would play in Cranbrook against the Kootenai ice, which is a two and a half drive, two and a half hour drive away. And I would drive and go watch the game and talk to them both after. And, and, and sure enough, you know, there they are in 99 getting drafted, in the first round. So, um, and and you had, you know, you had the Steve Tambellini golf tournament in in trail. You had the, the Travis green golf tournament in Castlegar and you had, you know, Dallas Drake from the area and Ray Ferraro from the area and, you know, a a trail team that had been to five little league world series. And, um, it was just such a huge sports community. I mean, you think back, um, to 1994 and when Canada, won the world championship well they hadn't won a world championship in hockey in 33 years and it was won by the trail smoke eaters back in 1961 and the smokies won another world championship back in 1939 so there, there was just such a great history of sports there and and to go there and and be able to you know do multiple sports and and at the same time like i said i was involved in the community i was coaching hockey like i coached kids that you know went to you know i think of uh shane halifax who played in the western hockey league with the portland winterhawks and kevin limber to who, who went to, to yale university i mean these are kids that coached beaver valley minor hockey and you know like we're, we're talking about 
like when I coached their peewee double a team, like we shouldn't even have been double a and we were, you know, basically a top two team in the province in double a, not because of me, trust me. <laughs> um, and we'd play triple a tournaments and we'd win games against triple a teams. Meantime, like we should have been single a based on our numbers. We, there are more kids on our double a team than there were on the house league team. I cut four kids at, at, at tryouts that's it and and we had 12 skaters and two goalies so there are 14 players on our team and, and i think there are 20 some odd players in the entire beaver valley minor hockey organization in peewee right so and and, and two of those kids you know went ncaa and, and and whl right and this is a this is a community that had produced players like adam deadbarsh and and Barrett Jackman in the past. So it was just, uh, you know, the, the, you know, in terms of punching above their weight as a sports community for, for, you know, that area, the West Kootenays trail and, and Beaver Valley, it, it was, it was phenomenal. And, uh, you know, to go to a place like that, I, I was just so fortunate. I mean, you know, the smoke eaters, the first year I was there, they had a really good team. They ended up, uh, you know, Vernon's always, you, you know, the BC Hockey League, Taylor. I mean, yep. you know the quality and <laughs> you know you know that league as well as anybody. Um, you know, the first year I was there, um, they're playing Vernon in the first round and they beat Vernon in seven, right? And and Vernon was, at that time, the powerhouse in, in all of Canada. So here's Little Trail, you know, beating Vernon in seven. And they were getting, you know, that, that arena, the Kaminko Arena, which is one of the great arenas in all of Canada. You know, it, it seated 2,600 back then. And I don't know, I know they've done some renovations now, so I don't know if it's it's probably somewhere similar, but, you know, I don't know if the seating's a little bit different because it was bench seating, and I know they've got bucket seating now. But it seated 2,600. At least that's what they announced capacity. There were games in the playoffs. They played Trail and they played, sorry, Vernon and Penticton that year. They lost to Penticton in the, in the conference finals where they were getting basically – with standing room and you know people were in the aisles like there were like 3,800 people there so the fire marshal would have had a field day yeah <laughs> and, and trail itself is like 8,000 but if you include Rosalind and uh, Warfield and and uh, you know Fruitvale and Montrose like it's probably closer to about 15 16 so you're, you're talking about a quarter of the entire area mm-hmm. is that the hockey game <laughs> right so it's uh it was just a great place for me to be i i have fond memories i haven't been there since 2009 when i was doing oil kings we had a crazy road trip which is <laughs> kind of a story in itself when the roar of the rings was on in edmonton we had a 13-day road trip that went kamloops Kelowna, vancouver uh cranbrook moose jaw brandon home so that that was insane but in the middle of the road trip uh, you know, while the team was in Cranbrook, I ended up spending some time in trail. That's the last time I've, I've been, which is 2009. It, it's long overdue. It's a great community. I know, um, you know, well, there's a couple of Edmonton guys that are there right now running it. Uh, Craig Clare on, on the business side and, and, and Tim Fraggle, who's the coach and yep. GM, who was at Nate before that with the Sherwood Park Crusaders. And, you know, those were guys that played when, you know, I was broadcasting their games. Like, from 97 to 2000, both those guys were there and I was the broadcaster and now they're there as, you know, basically running the show. So I, I need to get back there because 
I know they've got great ownership from what I understand. And, you know, they're doing a real good job in a lot of different ways. And uh, it's just, it, it truly is one of the great hockey communities uh, and sporting communities in this country. And I feel super fortunate that, uh, you know, I was able to start my career there. You talked about just that, that venue being packed. And as a broadcaster, when you're calling games, uh, how much does really attendance boost your call of a game up that much more? I mean, you really feel it when uh, when there's more people inside the arena. You really feel it as a as a broadcaster, and it, it obviously it enhances the game. But it's just amazing how uh, the power of people can enhance your performance, essentially, as a broadcaster. Hundred percent. It it means everything. Um, look, I, I've been fortunate because I have been one of the few that's been able to call live sports over the course of, of the last year, I was lucky enough to, to call um, games in, in the bubble uh, in the Canadian premier league and in, in PEI, uh, you know, there's basically the, the media contingent. It was, you know, the, the so many great people work, working behind the scenes to put on the broadcast uh, for one soccer and CBC and media pro um, and then Oliver Platt reporting and, and, and myself. And that was, that was it from a media standpoint. So I was calling the games and I was calling the games like field level. So normally you're up high somewhere. Like I was literally right behind the fourth official, <laughs> the, the refs, you know, he, the fourth official can hear me. The two benches can hear me. It's quite, quite the experience, but you know, like, and I loved it. It's fantastic. But yeah, I mean, you're creating, the atmosphere other than you and the players that that was it and you know it's the same you know i'm calling ahl games right now with the belleville senators playing in ottawa and same thing i mean no you know i get it there's pa there's music there's you know there's uh, goal horns and that sort of thing so uh but but nothing takes away you know nothing replaces the fans you, you, you can put cardboard cutouts in you can put fake noise in and, and all that certainly helps but nothing replaces actual fans and then that's that's to me what i miss the most about sports right now and you know what i can't wait for is just yeah i mean to to have that atmosphere whether it's in a venue like the kaminko arena and trail or you know just calling games at, at td place for the red blacks mm -hmm. uh, or, or playing for an East final to see if they're going for a gray cup. I mean, just to have that, I, I absolutely feed off it. There's no question. It can't help, but give you energy. I mean, if, if it doesn't give you energy, you, you should probably be doing something else. Right. So um, no question. It's, it's a big part of, of sports and it's a, a big boost to, to any broadcaster and can't wait for those days again to, to come around. Yeah, certainly. I mean, that's definitely on uh, people's top of the list when uh, things get back to normal. What they want to do uh, is go to uh, a packed sporting event. Uh, talk about quickly your time in Kelowna, AJ. You mentioned working with Regan Bartel, legendary voice of the uh, Kelowna Rockets. What was it like working with him and, and being in uh, in that situation uh, in Kelowna in one of the nicest spots in, uh, in well, not only British Columbia, but uh, the entire country? Um, you know, for, for me, that was a challenging year for some different reasons i mean i'm not going to come on here and say everything was you know kind of unicorns and rainbows or anything like that uh working with regan was fantastic i you know i had, I had a great boss that was just above me like in, in terms of she wasn't the big boss at the station she was the news director and 
Betty Sellen, who was fantastic, and Regan was awesome to work with. Uh, um, quite frankly, I, I mean, I'll tell the story. I, um, I worked a two-week stretch, and this, this, you know, this is kind of what you have to go through. And hopefully, people don't ever have to go through this type of thing themselves. And, and if they do, you know, hopefully, uh, it exposes the people above them, and <laughs> you know, those people are out. But I worked a two-week stretch where I worked 128 hours, and that's that's fine. Hey, I don't mind working. I love working. Um, and I was I was not a salary employee. I was basically paid by the hour. And and it wasn't one of those things where, you know, you you know, okay, if if uh, the boss says you're working 10 to 6, I show up at 9:30 and I leave at 6:15. I'm going to clock in for 9:30 to 6:15. No, mm-hmm. if if I showed up at 9:30. And I left at 6.15 and, and it said 10 to 6 on the schedule. You know, you're putting in 10 to 6, right? That's that's what you do, right? You expect, you know, you know I, I wasn't fudging my hours. So basically worked. It was a crazy stretch. A guy was sick. The Rockets had eight games in 14 days. Um, the, the Okanagan Sun played the, you know, for the, for the junior. I think they played the Hilltops for the Canadian Junior Football League Championship. And, and so there's a million things going on. And I was working a ton of hours. And the boss comes in and, and tells me to come see him. And I, I do. And basically says, if he ever sees uh, a timesheet like this again, it'll be my last. And I'm thinking, well, I just worked what was on the schedule. And he doubled down. If I ever see a timesheet like this again, it'll be your last. And so they're trying to cut salary. <laughs> um, you know, I was making 50 bucks a game, for example, doing uh, color commentary with Regan. And... Um, you know, the, the, the big bosses wanted me off those games completely. <laughs> and so it was just like, because they wanted to save money. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, fortunately Regan stepped up and, and Betty stepped up, um, and basically said no. And, and the, the compromise was, well, I, I worked those games for 25 bucks a game now. Right. And so, uh, it was, you know, it was tough. It was tough. Cologne is a great city, right? I love Cologne. It's beautiful. You go there in the summer. I mean, why would you ever want to leave, right? But you know, it, it was uh, it was tough sledding, and and eventually you say, well, you know, you got to stand up for yourself at some point, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. gotta you gotta pay your dues. I I get that, but there's a difference between paying your dues and kind of standing up for yourself and 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 saying, okay, well, you know what, this enough is enough, and you know that's basically what I did. They lost to Seattle in the first round uh, in six games. As soon as they lost, I put in my two weeks notice and and i was done right because i just said that this is not the type of environment that i want to work in now fortunately those two people have moved on um they're not working there anymore and and i'm sure it's a much better work environment and i wasn't the only person that uh that left there uh, in that period uh, a little bit disgruntled but you know i i i think the big thing for me then was just believing in myself right like i i know when I left there, I mean, here I am, you know, I'd worked three years in trail and one year in Kelowna and I'm quitting a job in Kelowna. And probably the, the sense was this guy's done, right? <laughs> this guy's not going to work in radio anymore. Well, I believed in myself and I said, you know, I bet on myself and I said, you know what, I'm going to show that I can work again. And, and here, here we are 20 years later. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's paid off for me. So um, like I said, I, I have nothing but good things to say about, about Regan, he's you know he's one of the best broadcasters there is. Those pipes, uh, he's just a super individual. 
Um, just just a great human being and, and a terrific broadcaster, one of the best, quite frankly, in this country. Um, you know, and, and, you know, Betty was a fantastic boss as well to kind of keep it on the rails for me, you know, in, in, in a tough and turbulent time, right. Understanding the balance that she had to play, like, you know, she was my boss, but she had a boss as well. Right. So, um, yeah, I was, you know, and, and love the city. It's a, it's a great city for sure. And, you know, you look at the rockets and what they've done over the course of, you know, that was 2001. Um, you know, they, they finished first that year. And, and lost in the first round of the playoffs, but you could tell that they were about to turn things around. And sure enough, um, you know, two years later, they win the Western Hockey League championship. Three years later, they win uh, uh, a Memorial Cup at home, and they're back in the Memorial Cup again in 2005. So, um, you know, great organization, one of the best, certainly uh, in the last 20 years in, in junior hockey and one of the best cities, certainly, in this country. So um, great experience for me. Um, and, and one where, you know, it, you, you need some, a little adversity, right? It, it helps. Mm-hmm. You, you can't help in terms of when you go through something like that, it, it makes you a little bit stronger and makes you kind of believe in yourself a, a little bit more. You have to, otherwise, you know, if you don't believe in yourself after something like that, well, you're going to be out. But, uh, fortunately it's worked out for the best with a little bit of luck, uh, and, and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I look back, even though there were some tough times, I look back fondly on, on that year. And, and certainly in terms of, you know, my relationship with Regan and, and, and those games that, that we worked together, uh, we, we look, we both look back fondly on that because he was certainly a great guy to, to, to work with. Well, definitely, and like you said, a lesson learned, and, and maybe people can uh, you know learn from that as well to kind of stand your ground. I mean, workers have rights, even in Radio Land too, um, and and you obviously learned said you learned something about yourself uh, for the good. Uh, okay, well, talk about then you you go to Ottawa, your first tour of duty, uh, and calling games for the sixty sevens. Uh, maybe touch on that process and how you got out there. And, uh, and and the interview process and getting the job uh, to call games for uh, one of the most storied franchises in Canadian junior hockey. Yeah, and it was just, you know, I had a process where, you know, like you, you had to have your ear to the ground in terms of everything. And if, if you were putting your name in for something, it wasn't just about finding out about, okay, yourself. You had to know right away, okay, if you didn't get that job, who did get that job? And where did they come from? So, you know, like when, when I talk about certain jobs, like there is, there is a year, um, I'm, I think I told you about 2002 and, and Laredo and mm-hmm. that led to an opportunity in El Paso and that didn't end up coming to fruition. I know in 2001, um, you know, I, similar type stuff. I applied for a job in Augusta, didn't get that. Augusta suggested me uh, for a job in Macon. Uh, so I interviewed for that. Um, didn't get that, but because the person who got the job in Macon was coming from the university of Vermont doing hockey and women's basketball there, um, I immediately contacted them. Um, they were going to hire me nine 11 happened, uh, immigration, you know, kind of ground to a halt and they, they couldn't bring me down. So a lot, a lot of times, you know, jobs kind of go that way, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's about who leaves as well. And um, I applied for a job in Prince George uh, Cougars play by play in 2003. Um, Didn't get the job, found out that uh, a guy by the name of Ron St. Clair got it and actually called 
Ottawa because he was doing Ottawa 67's games for the previous year uh, about this job. Um, the, the person I called didn't even know he was leaving. <laughs> so <laughs> it was kind of a strange situation. And I'm like, breaking okay. news. <laughs> <laughs> so sent them a tape right away. And this is August, right? I mean, this is, uh, this is like mid August, so somewhere in there. So we're not talking too far out from the start of training camp and, and labor day. Uh, so basically sent my tape, you know, ASAP, right? I think probably on next day, right? I mean, some some of those tapes you just send out blindly. All right, maybe it gets there in a week, but, you know, and now you don't even have to worry about that. Everything's sent on email and you got your tape online. But back then, you're, you know, in 2003, you're, you had everything on a cassette tape that you would send in a bubble wrap with your resume and, you know, that, that was one of those overnights. All right, get this there overnight so they have it. Um, basically, uh, you know, I think within a week, uh, they got back to me and uh, offered me the job. And so off to Ottawa I go, right? Pretty pretty fortunate situation. And, you know, I, I got there Labor Day weekend. I, I missed training camp. That's, that's basically how late it was in a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, started, you know, calling 67s games that year and well I, I mean how fortunate could i have been right i mean those were some of the last years of, of brian kilray behind the bench i mean my four years my first four years in ottawa uh it was brian kilray as the, the head coach and general manager then i came back in 07 to do the oil kings but and before going back to ottawa in 2010 but those first four years i'm riding the bus with brian kilray and you know boy what uh what a time to do that because um, you know, you think back to 2003 and what it was like on the bus versus 2021. It's just night and day. And, you know, I'm, I'm just fortunate to have kind of lived a, a part of that. I mean, the, his entourage on the bus was as big, almost as big, not quite as big, but almost as big as, you know, the amount of players on the bus. And so, like, you would have literally 15, 16 people on the bus at the front of the bus and then at the back um you know the, the players would be so you had like you know killer at his own seat and Bert O'Brien at his own seat but then you had okay vince Mollette, assistant coach coached in peterborough and coached in berlin he's sitting next to tom dempsey the goalie coach and then you had like t- tank and stump tank's job was to to keep the beer cold uh, Stump's job, I don't even know what Stump's job was, pretty much just to entertain killer. Um, you, had, you had Bobby, whose job was the food. You had Smitty, who's you know was part of the entourage as well. You had Doc Premachuk, who was the team doctor. You had uh, Brian Patafi, who was the trainer. Uh, you, you had the broadcasters. You might have had a newspaper guy like a Dave Groves from the Ottawa Sun. And, and, and I'm probably missing a few, like... It was, uh, and then the hockey team, <laughs> and then the hockey players behind that, and and we're drinking beer and you know Molson X, right? I mean, we you know we we'd go out. Ottawa's got, and especially now that Belleville's not in the league, like Ottawa. Look, I traveled in Edmonton, and Ottawa's got you know one of the more strenuous travel situations in the OHL. It's mm-hmm. Saint Marie, and then it's Ottawa, right? So it's, it's you know it's not as it's not like Kitchener where you know they they have like one or two trips a year where they actually stay in a hotel. Like we stay about 30 nights in hotels in Ottawa because, you know, everything's outside of Kingston and, 
and, and Peterborough is, is at least four plus hours away. And when you go through Toronto, you know, like you, you don't know if you're going through Toronto in an hour or if you're going through Toronto in three or four, right. Depending on the traffic and what time of day and what you get. So, um, you know, travel was a little strenuous and a lot of times, you know, you'd leave on a Thursday for a Friday, Saturday, Sunday weekend, wherever it might be. And, you get on the bus on a Thursday and there's, you know, there's a lot of Molson X there. Right. And so, you know, everyone at the front of the bus is, is having a few Molson X while they're, you know, doing their own thing in the back without the beer. Right. So just different times, um, you know, that would never fly today, but I'm glad that I got to experience it back then. And killer was just, uh, just a legend, like just a guy that welcomed me right away. And, and when, you know, when guys like, like, like that, like you, um, you know, they, they, they give it to you, right. They give it to you about different things. And, and, and so he, uh, he would certainly give me a, a hard time, but, uh, certainly a character, a great coach, uh, you know, hockey hall of famer. And, you know, I, I can't say enough about the, you know, those four years and, you know, in 2005, they went to a Memorial cup in a year where there was no NHL hockey. And that Memorial Cup featured, yeah, Brian Kilray, the winningest coach in junior hockey history and, you know, a, a pretty famous, you know, brand, as you mentioned, when it comes to junior hockey in this country in the Ottawa 67s. It featured, you know, maybe one of the best junior hockey teams in the history of, of junior hockey in this country in the London Knights. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it featured Sidney Crosby and Ramuski, and it featured a Kelowna team with Shea Weber as their star player that had been at, at three straight Memorial Cups and, and was the defending champ. So, um, you know, you go to a Memorial Cup that year, everyone in hockey was there from media people to uh, scouts and general managers. I mean, everyone converged on London for that 10 day uh, span. It was just a, a, a terrific hockey uh, event. I, I can't think of any, I mean, I've been to a lot of drafts as well, you know, obviously, so that that's one thing. But I can't ever think of a hockey event that just everyone was at, and that one was was that was the case that year, just because of the situation and, mm-hmm. and no NHL hockey being played. So, um, yeah, a lot of great memories about about uh, those four years and, and riding the bus with Killer and and that group of players, and uh, certainly, yeah, I'd never forget my first. OHL and you know major junior broadcast calling it in the old Sudbury arena and uh, just yeah fantastic uh, time to be uh, a part of the league for sure what you, you mentioned just uh, with Brian Kilray uh, the Hall of Famer coach intimidating figure I'm sure but he said welcome you right away what maybe is the easiest way for say a, a guy that's coming to a new team or or just you know a junior play-by-play guy that travels with the team to to kind of break the ice with uh, with the coaching staff uh i i think just show respect and 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 listen and and you know like it, it's it's a fine line right i mean there's coaches i haven't got along with <laughs> that's, that's just you? the reality you're not gonna get along with everybody i mean i've been super fortunate i still have great relationships i mean i think back to when i was in trail and the general manager then you know he's scouting with nashville was now is is glenn sanders i mean and he was awesome to deal with and you know i think of don horwood coaching the u of a golden bears basketball team 01 to 03 and tricks baker coaching the women's team coaching the pandas had great relationships with them and 
you know, killer. And I was lucky with Bob Green and Steve Plough and Randy Hanch and Rocky Thompson and that group with the Oil Kings. And, um, you know, that that's carried on to, you know, different sports from, you know, Mark DeSantos and the Ottawa Fury in soccer to the group they've got now with Atletico Ottawa with Fernando Lopez and, and um, uh, Amista, who, you know, played at the highest level in La Liga in Spain. I, I think it's just, you know, showing respect and, and knowing, you know, like you've got to come in, you, you've got to know a certain amount, right? I, you know, do your homework on, on stuff, but at the same time, you know, kind of, you know, like defer a little bit in terms of, okay, this is the guy that kind of has been there, knows that, you know, like ask questions to kind of pick their brains, right? They're mm-hmm. the expert. You're, you're the one learning. That's, that's the way I always take it. And look, you know, you might disagree. And if you do disagree on something, you know, pick your spots. Right. Um, but you, you know, like doesn't mean you have to ask lob ball questions you can ask tough questions if you, if you don't agree with something right or you know whether it's on the air or off the air or whatever but it's like to me the most important thing when it comes to working in a team environment and there's different roles right if you're a beat reporter it's it's different than if you're a team broadcaster but as a team broadcaster um you know you've got to build those relationships in support it's important and sometimes it's not going to be easy like like a couple of the soccer coaches here um, it, it was tough and you know one of them came from a, a, abroad which is fine I, I appreciate the fact that um, you know he came from Portugal and you know worked for Benfica and you know that's a big club over there and all that kind of stuff right but um, you know the, there, there just wasn't a lot of respect well one of the things that I had a problem with in that scenario was just how he talked down to the rest of the media and, you know, I was kind of thinking, okay, soccer's, you know, not number one here. You got people coming that are covering the Senators and the Red Blacks, covering soccer where it's not their number one passion, you know, trying to give some coverage to, to the soccer team and mm-hmm. they're getting dressed down by the coach. And I'm thinking, imagine, imagine someone, imagine the reverse. Imagine you're covering Bayern Munich and all of a sudden you're going to cover the hockey team. And so you go from covering Bayern Munich, one of the biggest clubs in the world, to coach to, you know, now you're covering the hockey team. You're on that beat for a week. And you go on the the, the the coach of the hockey team is dressing you down and saying how dumb you are because I'm from Canada and you're from Germany and I know hockey and you don't. Well, that's kind of what was happening with a couple of these soccer coaches. So it was, you know, that frustrated me. Um but, you know, like you're never going to be – not every relationship is going to be perfect, but relationships are the most important. If you think that, you know, like how you prepare for a broadcast, you're a team broadcaster, is more important than, than your relationship, uh, that, that's not really the way it works. And, and you know, from, from my perspective, I was fortunate because I had great relationships within that organization. And so, you know, when there are issues – you know, you could at least go to others in the organization and say, look, this is what's going on. You know, it is what it is. He doesn't like me and <laughs> whatever. But um, but in the end, you know, like you've got to do whatever you can to to build that relationship. And and, you know, I, I think that means, you know, understanding that even if, you know, like you, you've got to understand that they're the one they're the subjects. They're the they're the stars. Right. You're it's not about you. It's about them. And, and if you understand that, 
um, and, and you're humble about it, you don't have a big ego, then um, then I think you're going to do quite well. But if you start to think that this is about you, uh, that that's where it starts to be a little bit problematic. Yeah, it's you. You got to earn that uh, earn that trust right away, and hundred percent. Like and, you, and like you said, yeah, just kind of uh, pick the brains of the of the coach. Yeah, and I'll give you an example. Like you know, I, I'm not afraid to say like if a guy makes a mistake, he makes a mistake as a coach or whatever, right? I mean, but you got to be fair, and you got to like the the big thing is you got to be fair and you got to be accurate. So if you're if you're going to critica- criticize the, sh- the coach, you better you better know that you're accurate first and foremost, and you better know that you're being fair, right? Mm-hmm. And and if they understand that part of it, and I get it, it's it's a bit of a line that you walk. Like there's uh, there there's the team, right? And if and if you're working for the team, that's completely different than working for a radio station. But uh, like I I always say that, okay, you know if if you've got you know your left hand you know, in one spot, your right hand and your other spot, your left hand is okay. This is where, you know, traditional media is at. So if you're a beat reporter for, for, you know, the athletic or post media or whatever, okay, you're there. Uh, This is where the team is. That's where your right hand is, you know, and, and, you know, I get it. They're not, they're, uh, if you're, if you're putting out a press release for the team, you're not putting out a press release saying that this was a mistake here. No, it's going to be completely, you know, driven by, you know, positives and that sort of thing. Right. So, so there's that over there Um, as a play-by-play broadcaster, you know, when, when you're not employed by the team. And I, I think, you know, if I was employed by the team, I'd want a little bit of leeway as well to be able to say, Hey, well, you know, that's a, that's, that's a mistake. You can't be making those types of mistakes again. Otherwise it just sounds like, you know, radio Pravda. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, but, but, given my role right now, um, you know, I'm in the middle, I'm, I'm in between that. So, um, yes, I understand that, you know, you know, I, I'm, I'm as the broadcaster representing that and I'm broadcasting to, you know, the fans of whatever team, whether it's the red black 67 sends whoever, but at the same time, you know, if there's a mistake and I think back to 2019, uh, and the red black season and, you know, they were really, really bad. Well, guess what? They were three and fifteen. And there are a lot of times that I said on the broadcast, Oh, they're really bad today. <laughs> like that's that's what you have to be able to do that. But in order to be able to do that, I, I think there's a little bit of back and forth that has to, you know, there, there there has to be some trust there, right? You have to build that trust. And that's mm-hmm. why I think a lot of the longtime broadcasters, right? You think of a Rod Phillips and what he was able to do at Edmonton for, you know, you know, almost 40 years. Right. Yeah. I mean, he started doing the games in the WHA and in, in the seventies and, you know, moved on in, in 2010. So I think, I think he did Oilers games, WHA and NHL for 37 years. Well, how does a guy like that last 37 years? Well, he walked that line, you know, between, all right. He knew that, you know, the, you know, he had to be positive to a certain extent to the Oilers, but how many times did he say that's a bonehead play by this guy or that, you know, like that he he was, he was honest that way. Right. And, and the reason he lasted 37 years was because he walked that line because he was balanced because the fans trusted that, you know, when, when he said, that's a terrible play by this guy, it's like, okay, this, this is, this isn't radio Pravda. Right. And I think 
the organization where I'm sure there would be times where they would roll their eyes and say, oh, Rod, did you really have to be that hard on us? But in the end, <laughs> they benefited, right, in, in that sense. And I think when you build those relationships, um, you know, I, then there's a greater appreciation from the other side to say, okay, this guy, he's going to have our back when it matters most, mm-hmm. but, you know, he's criticizing us right now. And guess what? We probably deserve it. And so that, that to me is the sign of, of a, a real good broadcaster in, in my opinion, because, you know, again, it's, it's, uh, it can be a difficult line to walk, but you know, if, if, uh, you know, I think back to a game in 2019 with the Red Blacks when Rick Campbell called for a safety and the team was up four points and they conceded the safety, kicked the ball and Calgary went down and kicked the game winning field goal right after. So instead of, you know, forcing them to, to beat you with a touchdown, you basically gifted them two points. And I love Rick Campbell. Rick Campbell's a great guy. Keep, you know, keep in touch with them to this day. But guess what? I said it was a terrible call. Why? Because it was a terrible call. But because he had that good relationship, you know, you're, you're able to kind of get through stuff like that. And if you don't have that type of relationship, if you're not fair, if you're not accurate and, and you don't build those relationships, well, all of a sudden it's like, you know, you know, the coach might be saying, well, well this is tough enough as it is. Why is our broadcaster piling on as well? And, you know, now all of a sudden it's, it's a little bit uh, tougher line to walk but that comes with time right i mean Mm -hmm. you know you you don't go on the air in the first game and say that (laughs) you know and and if you maybe you do but if you do you you know you you might wait a few weeks in right and and just kind of have the conversation you know i remember conversations with certain coaches and i try to have those conversations and say hey this is what i'm all about and you know i'm i i want this team to do well and 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 whatever but you know when there's going to be the team's bad if the team loses eight two i'm not going to say well they're great it was unlucky no guess what the team was bad <laughs> right so i i think you know having that trust from both um you know the organization standpoint and and the fan standpoint where both appreciate where you're coming from i think you know that that's the the the, the toughest i think line to walk and you're not always going to please everybody but guess what if both sides are upset with you a little bit you're probably doing a pretty good job. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely uh, well said. Uh, let's talk about uh, coming to Edmonton and, and working for uh, Team 1260 and calling games for the Edmonton Oil Kings. Uh, you got to be the inaugural play-by-play voice of the reincarnation of the Oil Kings in the Western Hockey League in Edmonton. Uh, take us back to that process of, of not only getting the job, but seeing the opportunity come up uh, in Edmonton uh, where uh, where you're from. Yeah, I'd been in Ottawa for four years, and you know the oh six oh seven year was you know I was doing a lot I was doing a lot more things in Ottawa. I was you know I started doing some stuff on the morning show, and you know they made the Stanley Cup final that year, and you know one of the the, the broadcasters uh, who was hosting the pre and post game show, um, you know got sick through the playoffs, so I did uh, you know the first three rounds, and then you know did some stuff, some other stuff in the Stanley Cup finals, so. You know, there, there was uh, there's a lot of different stuff that I was doing. Um, and, and you kind of thought, I, I didn't really want to leave at that time because Ottawa was really good, uh, you know, for my career. And, you know, I've been there four years. and um, But, you know, I, I looked at opportunity and, you know, the opportunity to come home uh, to call games for, you know, a, a legendary franchise that 
had won Memorial Cups in the 60s and to see that franchise come back and and, and you know with their um, situation with with the Oilers um, you know with with them owning the team I thought well this is a pretty good opportunity and when uh, when you know the offer was right I, I ended up uh, jumping at it so yeah, it was it was uh, it was a great three years. I, I really enjoyed, you know, like Bob Green was just terrific. I I kind of worked a little bit for the Oilers, like, but but it was kind of a weird situation. Like both both ended up hiring me, and I think in year one they split my salary. In year two, it was like seventy five twenty five, and by my third year, um, all of it was paid by the radio station by uh, twelve sixty in Edmonton. And, and so, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a great, great situation. I, I enjoyed kind of the, the oil King side of it with Bob green and Steve Plow and all the great staff on that side. I enjoyed the, uh, the, the 1260 side of it with, you know, working for Bryn Griffiths and Marty Forbes, uh, until both of them ended up moving on from, from the company. And, and, and so, um, yeah, great three years. I mean, it was so awesome when they made the playoffs and in the second year, a year ahead of schedule and made it in the last, uh, you know, basically a, a one game playoff in Prince Albert to, to get into the playoffs and yeah, still keep in touch with a lot of people from Bob to Steve to, you know, I mean, Bryn Marty on the radio side and, and, uh, you know, a lot of the players as well. I mean, I've been to Germany a couple of times in the last few years and Brett bright who was on that team is playing in Germany and got to spend some time and stay with him as well. And so there's a lot, a lot of guys that uh, it, I, I really enjoyed spending time with in that time. When you spend that much time on a bus, you, you get to know people quite well as anyone who's worked in, you know, whether it's pro hockey and, you know, in the minor leagues or, or junior hockey would know. And, um, yeah, certainly uh, a great three years, and, and to be able to do that in my hometown as well was was fantastic. What was it like calling your first game at the uh, the then Rexall place? Now it's the Northlands Coliseum, or to some people it's always been the, the Coliseum, but uh, that first game in Edmonton, uh, getting a call from the, the press box, uh, do you remember that feeling? I do, yeah. I mean, uh, what a great place to call a game from, just in terms of you know the broadcast location and everything like that and you know i know in the current arena it's not quite uh, as nice it's, it's pretty high up there yeah a little further you, you probably need uh binoculars <laughs> for some things but uh no it, it was great i mean i grew up going to games there right i mean obviously not junior hockey but uh you know someone who was born in 1975 you know the, the first game i actually remember going to there and i don't remember anything about the game but i remember going to a game and a prop it was probably the last year of the WHA because it's not like I remember much even from you know being three years old but I can't imagine it was when I was two or or anything like that so I do remember going to a game a WHA game there and then you know you think of the 80s and, you know my dad was a season ticket holder who'd go to 15 games a year and so I, I'd be able to go to you know most of those and, you know, watching Gretzky and Messier and Coffee and Anderson and Curry and Fuhr and Lowe and Semenko and all those guys, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, to, to go from and, – and then, you know, when those guys left, I probably went to even more games in the 90s when they were bad. 
um, and, and, and when they made the playoffs again in 96, 97, um, you know, when I was working in Belfort on my first work experience, like, you know, I, I came back for game six of that series, right. Uh, against the stars. And it was like insane atmosphere. Same with Oh six. Mm-hmm. I was living in Ottawa and when they made the finals against Carolina, I came back and got a pass and, uh, went to games three, four and six of the finals. So, um, and, and when they had their last game ever at, at, at Rexall place or Northlands Coliseum, um, you know, I ended up getting tickets and, and went with my dad, which was really special. So, yeah, I mean, that, that building definitely brings back a lot of memories and, you know, it was different for oil Kings. I mean, the first game was fantastic because, you know, it was a sellout in the sense that they, they sold 6,700 seats. They didn't sell, uh, the, the seats in the upper deck, but, you know, the unfortunate thing for most of the games in those first three years is they didn't draw very well mm-hmm. at, at, uh, Rexall place. And so, um, you know, there are a lot of games where there might've been you know, a thousand or 1500 people in the building. And, you know, it was, it was tough to kind of, you know, a guy would run over a guy in the corner and you'd be excited and literally no one's cheering. <laughs> so, you know, you're getting excited about this hit and no one hears anything on the, on, you know, in terms of crowd noise back home. And they're like, who is this lunatic calling the game? I mean, it sounds like, you know, it was nothing and you're getting excited about a hit that no one else is. So, um, yeah, yeah there are times that was not the easiest, right. In terms of, you know, because I'm not a guy that's going to try and manufacture something that isn't there. I, I, but I, but you do try to make it as exciting as possible. One of the guys I worked with, Dave Schreiber. I mean, I've heard people say about him that he could call, you know, the names out of the phone book and it would sound exciting, right? So you hope to be able to provide some of that. Um, you know, but yeah, definitely uh, three great years for sure, and w- was happy. You know, once I came back to Ottawa, that they did experience success and won a couple of Western Hockey League championships and eventually a Memorial Cup in 2014. And coming back to Ottawa, um, how did that process go about? I, I know, you know, things maybe didn't end the way you wanted to uh, in Edmonton, but getting that opportunity back in Ottawa, how were you able to um, to get back uh you know, into the mix. Um, you, you talked about it earlier, how you're a guy that just sent everything out, sent a lot of feelers out. And, um, you know, when one job closes, that means another job opens. Um, just making that transition back to Ottawa, uh, discuss that. Yeah. And, and basically what happened for me was Bryn Griffiths and Marty, Marty Forbes and Ryan Zimmerman, the three people on the radio side who had hired me, had moved on. And so, you know, the, the new people came in and, um, you know, for what I, they kind of wanted me to take a pay cut and I wasn't really keen on taking a pay cut. Um, and so, um, you know, you start putting feelers out as I did, you know, back to Ottawa. And I kind of knew that there was a soft landing for me if, if things didn't work out. So I stood my ground in Edmonton and, um, in, in the end, you know, it didn't work out. Um, but, uh, yeah, with, within, you know, within a couple of days, I, I knew that there was something that was probably going to happen for me. And, and in the end I was fortunate because they basically created a position for me. I mean, when I, when I first came back to Ottawa, you know, I, I wasn't doing sends broadcast per se. I wasn't doing 67s broadcast per se. And, 
I just came back and they, they found spots for me. I filled in on various shows. They created a, a an evening and weekend show for me called the sports ticket that first year. Um, you know, I did television broadcasts for 67s. They, they, you know, they, they found uh, a way to get me on those broadcasts and slowly, but surely started doing more stuff. And then within a year, uh, two people left and, and they've both been quite successful. Uh, John Abbott uh, left to go take the Toronto Marlies job and eventually went to Vancouver and did the Canucks and he's been doing, you know, world juniors and, mm-hmm. and also, you know, world championships and various stuff on TSN. Uh, so, so that happened. And Scott MacArthur, who's, you know, at uh, Sportsnet radio in, in Toronto, um, he left as well. Right. So they kind of gave me the option okay, do you want to do, you know, they, they knew, I mean, play-by-play has always been my passion. And so they said, you know, we're going to give you the option. Do you want to do play-by-play for the 67s like John's doing? Or do you want to do, um, you know, Ottawa Senators pre and post like Scott MacArthur was doing? And I came back to them and I said, what if I did both? <laughs> and Which was kind of insane. But um, I, I said, you know, could probably do about two thirds of the Sens broadcast and, and basically do all of the 67s broadcasts. And so uh, for the next three years, I did both. And it was about three quarters of the games, you know, and, and the next year, for example, I remember there was a crazy stretch of uh, the 67s ended up going to the conference finals uh, on a team, you know, led by Sean Monahan, Tyler Toffoli, Cody Cece, um, Peter Mrazek, amongst others. And the Sens made the playoffs, surprisingly. Paul McLean's first year as a head coach, and they played the Rangers in, in round one. And I'll never forget, I mean, um, you know, I worked, not that, not that it's a big deal working eight days in a row, but I just <laughs> was working eight days in a row between 67s and Sens and traveling all over the place and, you know, worked game seven post-game show, the Sens broadcast against the Rangers and was on the air until four in the morning taking phone calls and woke up the next day, uh, took uh, took the train to to uh, St. Catharines and, and called game five for the deciding game of the conference finals between Niagara and, and the 67s. And so it was, you know, there were a lot of days like that where it was a little bit, uh, a little bit crazy. But The timesheet was pretty full. Yeah, but but it was good. It was fantastic and did both for three years. And then next thing you know, um, you know, football came along and soccer came along. And uh, they said, you know, do you want to do football? Do you want to do soccer? I said, yes and yes. So I remember in 2014, I mean, it, that you know, that was a crazy year as well because I, I went from, you know, the, basically I had a busy time and then kind of your your summer was a little bit more your off time and so you know from the time that the 67s hit the ice in september and preseason hockey started it was nuts right for mm-hmm. seven eight months and you know from 2011 to 2014 the three years that i did all that um you know i had two different girlfriends for you know two year spans um you know over the course of that and they would just hate the hockey season, right? <laughs> just hate it because, you know, like evenings and weekends, like I'm working all the time. So a lot of times I'd go over and spend time with them on a weeknight on a Thursday at like 1030, right? And see them for like an hour or two. And that was about it, right? So it was it was a little bit crazy in terms of the personal life, but, you know, love the work aspect of it. And, you know, then you get to 2014 and I went from, 
okay, the crazy eight month span of doing 67s and sends side by side to, um, you know, all of a sudden you hit March and all right, I'm going to go and take uh, a, a one week vacation in the United States because, you know, I got to get ready for football and soccer. It's going to be an insane year. Well, I go down to the States. I, I went to North Carolina to watch college basketball because I'm a big college basketball fan and I uh, wanted to see the tournament and I was going to go for 10 days and I get there for four or five days and they called me and said, yeah, Dave Schreiber's got uh, some issues in terms of, you know, he needs to get eye surgery. Uh, can you come back and, and call the last seven games of the year? And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm driving back here. I am driving back from Charleston, South Carolina, you know, like, basically over the course of like a day and a half hustling back. I, I get back, call my first NHL game against uh, the Chicago Blackhawks and, you know, was exhausted, but you know, like called a million people, my parents, whatever, like all these people that meant so much to my career. Cause that was kind of like the dream, right. Mm-hmm. Got to call NHL hockey. And um, so, you know, got to, got to call those seven NHL games right at the end of the season. And as soon as I called my last game, which was on a Thursday, on the Friday, I jumped on a plane uh, to Florida. Um, and on the Saturday, I called the first ever game in Ottawa Fury history against the Fort Lauderdale Strikers in the North American Soccer League. And so then I basically called the entire spring season. Um, as soon as the spring season ended, um, they, they had a, a one-week break, and it was right before the NHL draft. <laughs> so I go and go and work the NHL draft that year, which in 2014 was in Philadelphia. The draft ended and and there was a couple of preseason games in there as well for the Red Blacks. And then I'm off to Winnipeg to call, you know, the first Ottawa Red Blacks game in, in CFL history. And so then uh, over the course of the CFL season, I call the entire season. I'm also calling you know, half of the, the soccer games the rest of the way because the ones that don't f- conflict, I'm calling. Then the Red Blacks had a break in September and it happened to coincide with uh, the, the rookie tournament that the Sens had in London, Ontario with, with uh, the Leafs prospects and the Habs prospects. And I think, I think it was Pittsburgh as well. So I went and called that and then called the rest of the football season. And in the middle of that, um, I ended up getting... Uh, <laughs> a job opportunity in Montreal and called a preseason game between the Habs and the Bruins at the Bell Center. And that was after a road trip in, in Regina with the Red Blacks. So uh, by the time November hit, um, I, I was exhausted. <laughs> it was uh, it was a crazy run, but an amazing run. Uh, and, you know, now I don't do as much hockey. Um, I, I still do, you know, 67s games, but not as many. I still, you know, work some Sens broadcasts, but but not as many. Now I do an afternoon show as well, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's been, uh, it's been quite the ride to be able to call nine different sports as I have over the course of my career from hockey and basketball and soccer and football to, you know, little league baseball and trail BC and, you know, MMA, which I don't, didn't even know anything about when I called MMA and I was renting, uh, videos from blockbuster to watch, uh, you know, Mike Goldberg called MMA to boxing, to lacrosse, to auto racing. I mean, it's been, uh, it's been quite the ride. I mean, I've been to great cups and Stanley cups and, uh, final fours and super bowls and Rose bowls and, you know, overseas watching soccer and, 
you know, for, for as crazy as this business can be at times, it's very, it's, you know, it's been very rewarding for me. The perks mm-hmm. have been uh, phenomenal. And, you know, again, for anyone that has a passion for sports, you know, don't, don't listen to the naysayers. Don't listen to the people that say, you know, the jobs are dwindling again. It's one of those things that, uh, um, if you're passionate about, uh, it, it'll be very rewarding for you. And it's certainly been, uh, very rewarding for me. Well, you talk about uh, you know having to, to go to different venues in the turnaround time and diff- calling different sports on different days. How does the prep work for you personally? Is it the same in terms of just uh, getting the names down the same, or does does it depend on the sport on in terms of uh, just prep in its entirety? I mean, how does AJ Jakubic uh, prepare for a full week in a sports, literally? depends on the sport i mean hockey uh it's it's a little bit different for me i mean you know i i think it's it's important you kind of come with like i've always come with a little bit more base knowledge there so that that helps so if i got called you know tomorrow to call an ottawa senators game say the the sends against the oilers all right i've got a pretty good base there to start with and you know, like it's not like when Leon Drysidle's driving down the the middle of the ice, I'm going to struggle to to know who Drysidle is, right? Yeah. It's just you, you you know from the NHL standpoint, it's a little bit easier calling those games because these are the guys you watch on television, right? So, um, you know, from from a hockey perspective, always just you know when you get the lines, just kind of you know put them on a sheet and, and kind of write as much as you can about each person b- between whatever the game note says whatever you might look up online and, and that sort of thing um you know from a football standpoint that to me is the most prep because you've got you know in the cfl teams dress now 45 guys and so you know you're getting the depth chart the day before and as soon as you get that depth chart you start writing guys into the different spots and the backups and you know, heights, weights, colleges, uh, you know, stats, all that kind of stuff. And then you, you know, add in whatever you might need to add in a little bit later. So it's, you know, broadcasting football, I find is probably the most prep work. It's minimum, you know, four hours. If you want to do a, a, you know, pretty good job. Look, I've done it with less. It's not ideal, but you'd rather have more information than you, that, you know, you don't use than not enough information where, okay, you, you know, like, what am I going to say here? Right. Mm-hmm. Because there's always potentially a time where you might need to fill. So I'd always rather have more information and just not use it. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's different for all the sports. Um, you know, whether it's soccer, whether it's, uh, basketball, which, you know, I, I called a lot of basketball when I was in Edmonton, university of Alberta and stuff, and still fortunate to call a few games here. Um, you know, whether it's Carlton or University of Ottawa, got a pro team coming in and the Blackjacks, so that's exciting because that's one of my favorite sports to call. It's just I love being down low. You can't really broadcast great down low with soccer, football, or hockey, but basketball to be down low right there and you hear what the coaches say and, you know, you're right with the action. Like I, I can watch a game, you know, just as a spectator, mm-hmm. hockey, football, soccer, baseball, wherever, and and be okay but now when i watch basketball and i go to a game i want to be low i've been spoiled right just from calling games down there and that's one of the things i love about basketball so everything's different there, there's no doubt it's just 
but you want to be as prepared as possible. I always try and, and talk to, you know, the, the general manager, you know, the coach is usually pretty busy, but you know, guys like Marcel Desjardins and Pierre Dorian, for example, have been, you know, really good with their time. Um, if, if you're calling games, you, you call them up and say, Hey, give me the four one one. Okay. Tell me about this guy, this mm-hmm. guy, this guy. Right. And, and so to get, you know, a little bit about each of them and same with the soccer, you know, I know Fernando Lopez, same thing with him and Atletico Ottawa and just to get a little bit of something on them because yeah, you can, you, you, there's always stuff you can get on hockey DB or, you know, on Wikipedia or you might find an article here or there. That's great. But, you know, sometimes you might just get that extra little bit of inside information that you you didn't know about. And then, you know, as time wears on, that's where it's important to, to build some of those relationships, right? And that's why I think, you know, broadcasters are hoping for a little more normalcy because a lot of the times you don't get that information, you know, in a scrum or anything like that, certainly not in a Zoom call. You get them, um, you know, on the road, in, in a hotel lobby, uh, at the airport, in, in line, you know, while you're you're waiting to go through security or in line for a coffee or whatever, right? So um, those are different. You just learn different things in so many different ways, and you you know, you add to it. And the longer you've been somewhere, I mean, that's the thing. You, you, that that's why longtime broadcasters bring such a different perspective. If you've been somewhere for 30, 40 years, and you remember that game back in 1982 that the fans remember in 1982 (laughs) you know that that resonates a lot more than someone that just comes in and you know says yeah well okay this is this and this is that okay but you need that connection right with the fans and the the people you're covering and that that's that's what's so important and in terms of what you're doing as a broadcaster I want to touch on uh, the Red Blacks and the CFL. Um, obviously, you know, we're in Canada, we're missing, well, if you like the CFL, you're missing it. I know there's some people that uh, uh, don't uh, care for it, but that's another conversation. But just getting to call games for a, a CFL franchise, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, AJ, but you got to call the Grey Cup win, right? Uh, no, I, I worked, the way it works is the Grey Cup is a national broadcast. It was so on the national feed, okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, okay. so the, the three Grey Cups that I've worked have all been on the sidelines mm-hmm. uh, when the Red Blacks played. So, um, yeah, so that, that was cool, but not not the same as calling the game. No. Um, for me, the highlights was the 2015 East Final, the one where they uh, reached the Grey Cup for the first time as an Ottawa franchise since 1981, and they did it basically on a miracle play. Burris to Ellingson, uh, you know, when it looked like they were going to lose the game, they had a second and 25. If they don't convert, punt the ball. Medlock's the best kicker in the league. Boom, game over. Hamilton goes to the Grey Cup. Heartbreak for Ottawa again. And, you know, somehow Henry Burris hits Greg Ellingson for a miracle play on second and 25. They score a touchdown, and the rest is history. So that ends up being, you know, the highlight of my career for sure. Um, you know, even more than, you know, calling my first NHL game and some of the other highlights for sure. But uh, just because there was so much heartbreak in Ottawa, I mean, you know, I, I grew up in Edmonton and remember, you know, going back to the Warren Moon days, you know, the, the only time that I ever remember Ottawa being good was when they reached the Grey Cup in 1981 and almost shocked Edmonton. And that's when they were a 5-11 and 11 team and somehow made the Grey Cup uh, that way. And, and uh, other than that, they'd just been bad forever. And then they folded and uh, came back as the Renegades and folded again. And so 
there's just there just been so much heartbreak with the Ottawa football franchises losing their teams, drafting a dead guy, uh, having the Gleibermans part one and part two. You know, it was just a mess uh, for 30 plus years of football, and to kind of see that go up in smoke in in one play that got them to a Grey Cup was one of the coolest things you could ever experience. And that's that's when you talk about the fans and and mm-hmm. just what they mean, right? I mean, I can listen to that call today and it still gives me goosebumps just because I listen to the crowd and how excited they were. And so, yeah, no, definitely a highlight for me. And, you know, just just hoping that, uh, you know, we get football here in, in, in 2021 and hoping that, uh, you know, whatever comes of these CFL, XFL talks that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not really too concerned. Yeah, I, I get it. You know, like there, there's certain things about the – I just love football. There's certain things about the Canadian game that I love, certain things about the American game that I love. And it's not about three downs or four downs for me. It's just about, okay, is there going to be football here? I, I I want there to be football in 25 years uh, so that, you know, when I'm retired, I can, you know, go to the game myself and, and, and watch football. And, you know, I, 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 just, I think that's more, more important than anything. And so hoping that uh, whatever comes of these CFL XFL talks and, I certainly think that, uh, you know, they're a lot further along than, uh, than they're admitting than that this is going to happen. Um, that, uh, you know, whatever happens that there is football, because uh, I think, uh, you know, there's, there's just so much history in this country when it comes to these franchises and, um, it, it means a lot. And, and to me, um, uh, you know, whatever form it takes in the future, there needs to be football in these nine Canadian markets. I wanted to ask you about that call in the in the Eastern Final. Um, do you prep for you know it's these situations? It's always that you know the joke is like Jim Nance rehearses his uh, final comments uh, of a game, but you can't really prepare for those moments, right? Or do you have an idea of like, okay, if it, the game ends on the last play, this is how I want it to sound, or is all bets are cut off? I, I've always listened to some of the great calls that I've heard and kind of thought okay you know what you need to be prepared for the unexpected and and especially when it comes to a big game you know like for example a music city miracle you you better be prepared because if something like that happens um you 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 want to have a call that resonates for years to come so i i don't think you can prepare word for word for you know something like that i mean certainly if if it's a blowout and and they're about to win a championship yeah you, you can kind of you know have certain things that that you know you're going to say but you better at least prepare yourself for you know any type of eventuality because you don't want to be left dropping the ball if uh you know they have you know one of their biggest moments in the history of the franchise and and you don't get it right oh that's uh that's well said we we didn't quite talk about well you touched on it but uh, now, as a as a host uh, for a uh, afternoon show uh, on uh, TSN 1200 uh, in Ottawa, the Drive, uh, just for you as a guy that's normally done play by play and 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 pre and post uh, hosting, um, what's it like for you to to be entrenched in all the topics across all the boards of sports? Because I mean, you you do call those games, but just having a, you know a show where you can talk sports all day, uh, just describe that feeling for us. Yeah, it's great. It's, uh, you know, I, I've done it a lot on a fill-in basis, but to do it, um, 
you know, basically four hours a day, every day is, uh, it's very good. It's challenging. It's, it's different. Um, it's, it's great because, you know, when you've got an opinion on, on something, you can throw it out there. Um, and I, I love being able to interact, interact with the fans and hear what they have to say when, when something is a hot button uh, issue and also love just getting to talk with, you know, a lot of the important people, uh, you know, whether it's people, you know, locally or, you know, picking up other people, you know, for example, you know, the CFL XFL thing, you know, one of the first people we called, I, I you know, reached out to Wally Buono. Why? Because I mean, Wally's the guy that, you know, cut the rock, right? Yeah. Did you call the rock? <laughs> we, you know what? We did email the rock and, and his people get, got back to us, uh, unavailable. <laughs> so <laughs> Shocking. we shot our shot, <laughs> Yeah. but you know, like just to, to have those types of conversations, right? Okay. Like what was the rock like? Uh, what do you think of this type of stuff? Right. But, like to, to actually be able to have those conversations, like, like sometimes you think, I wonder what this guy thinks about this certain subject. And, and, you know, when you've got an afternoon show, sometimes you, you're able to, it doesn't always work. You, you, you reach out and you say, Hey, would you like to join us to talk about this? June Jones is another one. Uh, June Jones, like we had reached out to June Jones. I did uh, prior to this CFL XFL stuff. And we actually got him on, uh, you know, the, the day after, um, and, and June, you know, coached in the XFL, uh, the year before, but I read an article that I found really interesting because June Jones was quoted as saying that he didn't think Trevor Lawrence was the best quarterback in terms of the draft prospects this year. He liked Mac Jones and, and Zach Wilson better. He said they were more accurate in terms of their deep balls. And so, and he was talking about working with Warren moon and working with Steve Bartkowski and, 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 you know, just, you know, how important it was in terms of quarterbacks eyes and where, where they were looking and, and stuff. And, and I, I found it fascinating, right? You're reading an article and I'm like, I, I want to get this guy on the air, right? <laughs> I want to ask him some of these questions as well and dig deeper into why he didn't have Trevor Lawrence as his number one prospect. So to be able to, you know, read stuff like that and say, Hey, you know, let's, let's re- reach out to this guy. It doesn't always work, but sometimes it does and have those types of conversations is pretty cool. And yeah, it's uh it's uh it's a great outlet for us and more important i think great outlet for listeners just to be able to kind of for them to be able to vent about something right with whether it's uh you know about the ottawa senators about cfl xfl about anything uh you know involving sports so that that connection uh to me is is very important and and again very rewarding over the last year, uh, with uh, some sports having to go on pause, obviously the content dwindles a bit, and uh, you you saw a lot of sports shows kind of deviate uh, from the the uh, the road a bit, and almost became more pop culture shows because there's no sports going on. It, it was funny to see, and I just wanted to get maybe your thoughts on this was. It seemed that the stuff that a lot of people did in the past year on shows, you know, doing the drafts and brackets of just random things used to be the stuff that you weren't allowed to talk about on air. Uh, and then, uh, you know, all it took was a pandemic for it to be uh, acceptable to, uh, you know, have like a, a, a best uh, baseball stadium food draft. I think it's great. I, I think it's, uh, you know what, like there's there's a lot of different things. 
there, there, there's, there's a lot of different things that uh, you, you want to hit on over the course of a show, but I think in the end it's personality radio, and I think you want to make it entertaining for the listener. A lot of the times, you know, when I'm listening, you know, diff, different shows, like, you know, I, I'll, I'll talk about Overdrive in Toronto, for example, TSN 1050, and you got Jamie McLennan, Jeff O'Neill, and, you know, Brian Hayes, and, you know, I know driving through Toronto sometimes, tune in and listen and they're they're talking about uh the beef baron strip club and just the name beef baron <laughs> in london right and i'm just howling right howling about them like so like it's not like i'm remembering their conversations about who should be the fourth line winger for the leafs mm-hmm. but those are the stuff that you never forget right and so i i think you have to you have to mix it up look you have to understand that if you're doing a four-hour show you want to hit on all the important stuff in terms of sports, but at the same time, you want to keep it fun, interesting, light, show some personality. It's you're never going to please everyone. Some people are just going to want wall to wall sports. I get that, but uh, you know, a little bit of mixture is always good. And uh, I, I think uh, I, I'm a big believer in personality radio uh, to go along with, you know, the sports aspect. Yeah, that's uh, that's very well said, and uh, and yeah, you got to have a personality for sure to be on the air and and create good content. Uh, well, AJ, that's pretty much wrapping it up. Uh, but before I let you go, I, I want to do as I do with all my guests. We have a bit of a, a, a ten round questionnaire, a flash round, ten questions. Okay. I need uh, you know one word answer or or a short anecdote from you. Are you ready to go? You bet. Okay. Favorite sport to call or cover? Well, it's basketball, football, hockey, soccer. I I, I love them all equally. Um, but if you're saying if you're, I'll, I'll say probably if if you're saying I can only call one sport for the the rest of my life, it's probably basketball. Uh, and if you're saying you can only watch one sport the rest of your life, in terms of you know going to games. I would say soccer just because I've been to Final Fours, Stanley Cups, Super Bowls, Grey Cups, Rose Bowls. I want to see uh, a World Cup. I want to see Canada get there. So um, I, I know that's not one word answer, but I love all four <laughs> sports so much that it's it's tough to uh, narrow it down. Other than the teams that you call games for, who's your favorite team to call or cover when they come to town or if you're traveling? Well, Canada soccer. I'm, I, I'm a huge Canada soccer guy. Like, for me, I want to. Uh, my goal is to go see in this next round of qualifying. Hopefully, we get, uh, we get to a point where we're allowed to travel, where there's fans going to be allowed at games. You know, like in, in 2021, for example. And I'm hoping to get to places like Mexico, Panama, Costa Rica, and whatever, and kind of follow the Canadian team a little bit on their journey to maybe get to a world cup again. Favorite player to call or cover. Oh, that's, that's a tough one. I'll say in my life, um, the, the favorite player that I've ever broadcasted was the, uh, Ottawa 67s goaltender of the year. They went to the Memorial cup in 2005. Danny Batachio. I've never seen a goalie stand on his head for two months straight like Danny Batachio did in leading the 67s to the Memorial Cup. All the years you worked in sports and, and worked uh, with teams, what was the best team to uh, to be around? I'm going to say it's a tie between the 2015 
Ottawa Red Blacks and the 2015 Ottawa Fury, who both uh, reached the championship game in their second year. Red Blacks went to the Grey Cup that year, and the Fury went to the Soccer Bowl where they lost to Raul and the New York Cosmos 3-2. Just uh, two kind of Cinderella stories side-by-side and uh, just great people on both teams. So I'm going to call that a tie. Favorite venue or city you've had to go to uh, because of uh, your job? Oh, that's so tough. Because <laughs> you've been to a lot of places. <laughs> yeah. Um, favorite place I've ever called a game is MSG, for sure. Because I, I, you know, my first road trip in the NHL, we went to New York God. and I got to call a game on Saturday at MSG and Tuesday at Nassau County Coliseum. And as someone that grew up in the 80s watching NHL hockey, you know, this was 2014 and these two arenas, and I get it, MSG was renovated, but these two arenas were still around. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was pretty special. So I'll say uh, those two. Best advice you ever received? Oh, (laughs) just believe in yourself. I don't even know who would have given it to me, but believe in yourself. Bet on yourself, believe in yourself. All of your dreams. One sport you've wanted to cover or call, but you've never gotten the chance. I, I think only highlight is left for you. <laughs> uh, you know what I'd like to call? Um, I'd like to call, and it's, uh, it's potentially, it's coming to Ottawa. You've seen the Toronto Wolf Pack and Rugby League. Um, Ottawa's getting a team called the Ottawa Aces. And if I got a chance to call rugby league, that would be pretty cool. Favorite job you've ever worked? It's now, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty tough to to beat, you know, calling all the sports that I've called here in Ottawa. There's nothing I haven't called in Ottawa um, professionally or anything like that. So, I, I yeah, uh, if, I, if I'm not picking – this time it's you know you got to go those first three years in trail because those were uh, pretty fun as well but I'll, I'll say now two-part question favorite broadcaster active and all-time sports broadcaster Whew. can i go different sport of course any sport cross okay. the cross the board okay uh soccer martin tyler he's he's phenomenal whether he's calling uh, English Premier League soccer, classic Sergio Sergio Aguero call uh, when Man City won the Premier League is you know one of the great calls in in the history of sports. Football, I, I don't think it gets much better in terms of you know um, NFL games in, in you know my era when I grew up than Pat Summerall when he was paired with John Madden. Mm-hmm. Love Pat Summerall. Um, hockey slash football, Chris Cuthbert, um, awesome guy too, but you know, he's fantastic at what he does and just kind of draws you in in terms of just has that great feel. I mean, Bob Cole, phenomenal too. Um, you know, Danny Gallivan, uh, you know, I remember him calling games in the early eighties as well. A lot of his calls were before my time, but I could watch that 78, 79 Habs Bruins game seven. <laughs> all day just because of uh, Danny Gallivan. Just like Bob Cole, I can watch so many games like Oilers, Stars, 97, same thing. So those guys for hockey. And then basketball uh, and, 
you know, and, and there's another guy that can do multi sports um, and, and does a great job on football as well. It's Kevin Harlan. Mm-hmm. Kevin Harlan is so good. Just, you know, and he's so different. If you listen to him on radio, he's so descriptive. And if you listen to him on, on what, you know, on call a game on television, um, you know, still just has that right energy feel everything. So th- those would be the best for me. And lastly, AJ, uh, who should be behind the mic with me? Who should come on the show? Oh, <laughs> that's, that's a great question. That's a, that's a terrific question. Uh, you know what? I've, I've given him, uh, have you had Regan Bartel on? Well, no, I've, I've, I mean, talked to Regan several times over the years working on the Pipeline show, but yeah, Regan would be uh, definitely on the list of uh, candidates to get. I got, I got to throw, uh, throw a bone to Regan. So Regan's, uh, yeah, that, that would be, uh, that would be uh, one guy that I'd want to get for sure because I just, uh, I love the way he's, he honestly one of the best broadcasters out there and one of the best guys out there. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna say Regan Bartel. Yeah, he'll uh, he'd definitely be uh, a, a treat to have on. Well, AJ, uh, thanks a you know a ton for taking the time uh, out of your uh, evening to uh, chat with me as we uh, uh, chat here on a Tuesday night. Uh, Want to thank you again so much for uh, coming on behind the mic, going on behind the mic, and uh, and sharing your story. And uh, it sounds like it's a lot of fun uh, in Ottawa when all the sports are going and all the fans are in the building. So hopefully we can get back to. Uh, those times very soon so thanks again for uh, joining me on behind the mic you bet uh, always great chatting taylor and thanks for having me on there you have it a great conversation from aj jackiebeck of tsn 1200 in ottawa and i uh, certainly look forward to when uh, the cfl the canadian football league can uh, return to play players teams can travel broadcasters as well and there could be fans in the stands It'll be good to go down to Commonwealth Stadium when uh, Ottawa is in town to play the Edmonton football team and a chance to maybe see uh, A.J. Jakubik and catch up as well. And his suggestion of uh, Regan Bartell as a potential behind-the-mic guest. We'd love to get Regan on. I'll definitely have to reach out uh, to him in Kelowna as uh, the WHL, with their season right now, bit of a mini-season Uh, going on obviously with everything in regards to the pandemic and COVID-19 but uh, Regan's got uh, I'm sure a plethora of stories he's a great storyteller very articulate and uh, and he uh, he has been great over the years some he's got to see some uh, real great hockey and cover some great hockey games call some great hockey games so uh, it would be good to uh, catch his brain one day. Well, that's going to do it for another edition of Behind the Mic with Taylor Medic. Again, you could find these podcasts wherever you find your podcast, stream, download, all those fine things. Continue to do that. I really appreciate the support. This, you know, the, this will keep me driving to bring you more conversations and more guests from all over uh, North America and even the world to uh, get on Behind the Mic. Any feedback, hit me up on Twitter at Taylor Medic is my handle good or bad we'd love to hear from you and uh, that's going to do it for another edition of behind the mic tune in next time to see who will join taylor medic behind the mic
Sunny and 